Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, possessions in nine-tenths of a car. Andrea brings the case against her friend Joe. Joe has adopted a minimalist lifestyle and has vowed not to own more than a single carload's worth of belongings. Andrea thinks he's shunned material possessions to an extreme degree and should acquire some creature comforts. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. Well, I'm going to enter the courtroom then. I'm just going to enter it. I don't need any of this. I don't need this stuff. I don't need anything except this gavel. And that's the only thing I need is this gavel. I don't need this bench or these robes. Just this gavel and this paddle game. The gavel and the paddle game, and that's all I need. Oh, and this remote control. The gavel, the paddle game, and the remote control, and that's all I need. And these matches. And the gavel, and these matches, and the remote control, and the paddle ball. Oh, and this lamp. The gavel, the paddle game, and the remote control, and the lamp. And that's all I need. That's all I need. I don't need one other thing. Not one. Oh, I need this. This coupon for a free slice of pizza at Canadian House of Pizza and Garbage. But that's it. The gavel, and the paddle game, and the coupon... And the remote control and the matches for sure. And I don't need one other thing. Well, except my bailiff. I don't need my bailiff. Will someone please swear them in? Please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling? despite the fact that not even 5% of his possessions fit into his preferred mode of conveyance, a rigid airship? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Very well. Judge Hodgman? Bailiff Jesse, you clearly are not aware of my moratorium on all Zeppelin jokes. I wasn't. But you you squeezed by by the uh, prohibition because of your use of the term rigid airship. That's the one, but that's the last time. Well, I didn't want anyone to think that you were flying around here in a blimp like some chump. Yeah, like like some chumpy blimp. No, I understand. Thank you very much. Yeah, but it's just, I just feel the Zeppelin jokes, it's just, it's just gone too far. It's gone too far in my life. So thank you very much. It was a very funny joke. Uh, And I love Bridget Airship. But from now on, this far and no further. So only hot air balloons from here on out. Yeah, and or maybe mention of dirigible. Sure. Joe and Andrea, are you there still? Yes. Yeah. All right. For an immediate summary judgment in your favor, can you name the culture that I was referring to? Uh, is it something by Dr. Seuss? Interesting. No. Andrea? Is it Steve Martin's If I Had One Christmas Wish? That's very interesting. It is Steve Martin, and it's from his motion picture, The Jerk. And now, just so that you understand, I am not going to grant you the summary judgment because that would make this a very short podcast and too many people have been getting the summary judgments lately. But I know that that routine predates the actual movie. So what is One Christmas Wish? What is that from? Is that a a track on one of his record LPs? It might have even been on Saturday Night Live where he said, if I had one Christmas wish, it would be that all the children in the world would be holding hands, dancing and singing Oh, and a million dollars. And the same shtick, the same basically. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think in a, in a just world, uh, I would give that to you. But this isn't a world. This is a podcast. 
And this isn't justice. This is Judge John Hodgman justice. So, no, you do not win. But thank you for that. And I would listen to you perform Steve Martin all day long. Where are you from? Uh, I am Canadian. Right, but you're not speaking. In a, where in Canada are you from? Uh, I'm from Ontario, near Ottawa, yeah. but I've lived in the UK for nearly five years. Right, so you've picked up a little, you've picked up a little something. Touch and, of transatlanticism. Oh, 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 very nicely put. <laughs> difficult, a difficult word to pronounce. Uh, and so where are you living in, in, in England? In England, did you say? Uh, yes, I live in North London. In North London. And what is the, what is the neighborhood? Uh, I what is your live near, in... What is your nearest underground station? Finsbury Park. Finsbury Park. I've been in that very station. And so like all good people of North America who, who are Anglophilic in nature and go to England, you have uh, adopted an English accent that you're going to have to explain to your family when you go home. Constantly. But you, maybe you will never go home. Are you going to live there forever? It uh, depends if I get deported or not. Andrea, what is your visa status, or as you would say in England, your visa status? Uh, what? Uh, currently legally in the country, but right. uh, time, time's ticking away. I have about a year left. Oh, all right. At Good. the moment. Then we'll make sure, Jesse, bailiff Jesse. Yes. Make sure to rerun this in one year's time so that all of our fans in the, in the uh, would it be the home office that would deport you? Yeah. It would be, right, Joe? You know what you're talking about because you're not a Canadian faker, are you, sir? No, absolutely not. Where are you from, sir? Uh, Britain. Right. And Do you want me to be, should I be more specific? I would. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Under no circumstances should you respond to that direct question with a specific answer. I think, I think you should be because I think that, that even I, an Anglophile by nature, uh, have, have uh, disclarity on what that term means. Britain would refer to England, Wales, Scotland. Would it, would re- and I'll put it on me, would it refer to Northern Ireland as well? No, I don't believe that it would, but I think the United Kingdom uh, encompasses Northern Ireland. The UK does, but is is British an, is Britain an actual specific geographical term or just a sort of vernacular term? Britain is the island, um, you know, the whole island. Okay, the United Kingdom will in- include very well. All right, well, I've got a map of your life in front of me. Where did you grow up exactly? I'm from the south coast. Uh, it's a county called Dorset. The south. It's coast very rural. Coast. Very nice. And where do you live now? I live in North London also. I see. And are you, are you flatmates? No. Because this revolves around uh, flats, which is the way uh, English people say apartment. <laughs> yep, that's correct. And possessions, which is the way English people say stuff. Yeah. And you don't have a lot of it. And Andrea, you, a good North American lass that you are, think he should have more stuff. Is that correct? Somewhat more stuff. At the moment, he's living a rather Spartan lifestyle, um, sort of a bed and an iPad. And he, he has a policy where he doesn't want to accumulate more stuff than can fit in a single car load. Uh, uh, please, don't put words, please don't put words into his mouth with your phony British accent. I will ask him about his policies in a moment. What, okay. is, what is the relationship between the two of you? Friends. Friends. And do you live nearby each other? We live about, what, half an hour from each other, if, if the right transport's working. Oh, I see. And how do you guys know each other and for how long? Uh, we went to university together, um, and I have not, you'll know how long. Uh, a little over three years, I think. Okay. Now, Andrea, what do you care if Joe does not have a lot of stuff? 
I don't think he's happy with the limited amount of stuff that he has. It's moved on a bit. When we first brought up the case, he didn't have uh, a grown-up size duvet or, or comforter, as we would say. Mm-hmm. He just had a tiny single blanket from his youth. Uh, he deliberately didn't bring his winter coat from his parents' house, because, even though it's winter, because he didn't want that extra stuff. And his flat's really cold, and it's it's cold outside. So it's it's more just about a few creature comforts to make life a bit better. And when you're a little bit more settled, it it just takes some of the other stress out of life. So, Joe, I presume you're lying down now beneath your blankie. Could you explain to me what your youth blanket is all about? Well, this is a this is a do du- it's a, not necessarily a blanket. It's a duvet from I think when I was about six or seven, I had it. It's a sing a, a single duvet, which is like a half. You have those, right? For, well, for those of you listening in the United States, uh, Joe is referring to a duvet, which is what we call a dovet. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's a single dovet, um, which, yeah, I've had from, for a very long time. I still have it in my cupboard, and uh, it's, it's kind of taken the Wait a minute. abuse of the years. <laughs> the cupboard is, is where we keep plates and dishes. Is that where you keep your, your duvet? We don't call oh. it, by the way, Joe, I can't keep this up any longer. We don't call it a duvet. We call it a duvet. I know. I was playing along. Oh, okay. Very well. So you keep, you keep, <laughs> your, you keep your duvet in your cupboard. Does cupboard mean something that different over there than over here? No, I've, I've had an argument with uh, another friend who's also, who's from London, who would argue that uh, I shouldn't say cupboard and that I should say wardrobe, but yeah. I, I think they're the same. No, what? Oh, maybe in your life of... Uh, of mon- monastic lack of stuff, you had, you only have one word for anything that opens up and has storage inside of it. No, a wardrobe, of course, is is a different sort of thing. That's a, that's a that's a, a tall closet replacement item for the storing of hanged clothes. And uh, and so, what is it exactly that you are keeping your youth blanket in? It's in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> This is a disaster. <laughs> you mean a? Do you mean a satchel? <laughs> no, he means a, a lift. Oh, I'm sorry. So you keep it in a plastic lorry inside your cupboard, which is itself a wardrobe. Absolutely, I see. All right. And what is this blanket from your youth? This this youth a twin duvet? No, it's a, it's a single duvet. It's taken the sort of abuse of the years because I've had it for so long, so it's, it's actually got very thin. I didn't but, even um, think we were going to get. I didn't even think we were going to get to the difference or the 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 the, the different words for twin and single. It's the same thing in America. Is it twin twin size would mean single? It's a, it's like a half a double. I know it doesn't make any sense because you would think it's got a, if it's a twin bed, you should be allowed to sleep twins in it, two people. But that is a single bed in, in this in these United States. Oh, oh my! It's gosh. really confusing. That's right. You know what we are? Two similar cultures separated by a common language, plus one Canadian. That's what we are. A lot of fish. So you, what do you do for? I'm going to presume a non-living because you're in England right now. <laughs> what does that mean? Are you employed? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Thank you. What are you employed as? Um, I freelance in the film industry uh, um, as a runner and also as a reader of movie scripts. Oh, okay, great. And are you an aspiring filmmaker? Uh, I guess so, in a 
I try not to think about it. There's that amazing English ambition that I enjoy so much. Now, why don't you have anything beyond, what is it, a bed, an iPad, a single duvet in a bag in a cupboard, I think what, okay. a, a, bowl, a bowl of gruel and a tin, <laughs> and a tin spoon? Um, I should actually clarify. So the, the duvet in the cupboards is the old duvet. It's no longer in use. Right. I actually upgraded to a, uh, a lovely new one. Oh. Over the winter, because I was very cold. I see. Do you have heat in your flat? So, uh, no. Yes and no, because it's a very, I think it's, uh, I don't know the time period, Edwardian perhaps, uh, and I think someone told me they were paranoid that they would suffocate, so it's a very drafty flat. Oh, it's purposefully drafty because the Edwardians were afraid of suffocation? Yes. I see. All right. Sure, I'll buy Is that. Um, but aside from these things, I, I have a table. Um, I have a I have a very nice chair. I have a, a rubbish TV. Mm-hmm. I don't actually own the bed. I should also make it clear it's it's a, it's a hand me down from the previous uh, flatmate. Oh, okay. So it, you 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 did not purchase it, but you do own it. You're not renting the bed. I guess technically I own it because when I leave the flat, I'll be expected to you know dispose of it. Right. Okay. And the television, do you own the television or do you rent it from the government? No, although my parents actually did used to rent the TV from the government. My, my, but I, I actually own this one. I was my, given it. my aunts in Massachusetts rented a telephone from, <laughs> from Bell Telephone for 50 years. That telephone, I think, cost them $1,600. So uh, I think I have some evidence here taken of your room in your flat. And this is a very spare existence that I see here. We have a, a bare room <laughs> with, a, with, I guess, something that could be called a, 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 a table. It looks like a, a folding table, like a card table. No, it's a, it's a real table. All right. Excuse me. It's a, and, a, and a hamper. Do you call it, what do you call something you put your dirty laundry in? That would be a washing basket. <laughs> How did I know? <laughs> I was going to call your laundry your dirty washings. Okay, there's your washing basket. I see you have a couple of items of clothing hung over uh, a hook on your rectangular portal. That's what that's what you call a door, and yep. uh, and uh, and and then the bed itself is a very small single bed, as you say, a twin bed. No, it's a, it's actually a double bed. It's got a single mm. duvet on it. Mm, well, I see. Perhaps by British standards, this would be a double bed. I would call the it the positioning of the um, linens um, makes it look like a single. I think. <laughs> I see. Do you have proper linens for your bed? Uh, what uh, are we talking about? The same thing? I don't know. <laughs> I, I lost track about fifteen minutes ago. I was trying to translate. What for we you, call sheets? Didn't work. What we call? Yeah, I have sheets. So you would have a what we call a fitted sheet, a top sheet. And, uh, and, a, and a comforter and what you would call a, uh, a fitting down linen, a straight <laughs> top linen, and a personal dovet, single size. Right? Uh, I, yeah, sure. And do you have a license for your television? Um, n- not for that one. Mm-hmm. I see. I don't, need, I don't use it for watching TV, though. It's for plugging in uh, hard drive to watch movies. I see. And how many movies do you steal per year? None. Very wise. (laughs) Very wise of you, unlike your trusting Canadian friend, to not mention 
legal issues on this non-legal podcast. <laughs> so why do you like this? Is an this? Are you an ascetic? Are you a, are you a, are you someone who disdains possessions? Because this is a spare life that you lead here in this little room. Um, well, I don't really think. Essentially, I like to live within my means, and I don't like to own more than I'm going to use. So this—that's why I have these things. That you know, it might seem sparse, but as you can see, it's not the biggest room anyway. I couldn't cram loads of stuff in there. And you have a policy about not wanting to own more things than you could fit in your car. Uh, yeah. Well, my old car—that car's actually been scrapped now, uh, and I don't currently own a car. Was it? Was it? Was it? Was it too large to fit into a bag to put in your wardrobe? Yeah, pretty much. So I have a photo. So this photo here of the of the Citroen. This is an old car. <laughs> it's a Citroen. A Citroen. It's a car no, a from a Citroen is a flavor of vodka, sir. Citroen. Okay, well, you know, um, it's it's a French car, so they call it a Citroen. I I can't imagine that they call it a Citroen. A Citroen. 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 The thing is, it's got it's got an extra e in it, um, which I don't think the French word Citroen has. Well, in any Citroen. in any case, we'll we'll get a we'll we'll get a, a a French speaker to go over this, a forensic French speaker to go over all of our pronunciation later, and I'll make the corrections. So this was your car, and the idea was to fit everything inside of this tiny crummy car, right? Uh, yeah. And you got rid of it because you couldn't fit it into your purse. No, the reason that I got rid of the car was that I moved to London. And as you probably know, if you live in London, there's no point in owning a car, really, unless you've got uh, children. Are you on the run? I don't understand the question. Is there a re- Do you fear that you might have to leave the country or you're at any time? <laughs> no, I don't feel that. Are you concerned that Otherwise you, kept the car. because you have stolen so many movies and put them onto your hard drive that you might at any moment have to put all of your belongings into... Uh, into your uh, into your uh, bag and get out. It's more of a case that I uh, I'm a person who doesn't like to be hassled with you know extra stuff to do. I like to be able to make if I've got all my stuff and it all goes into one car, then I can make one trip, unload, and get out, and that's have, that's done. You basically want to have the perfect amount of stuff and the perfect plan for the perfect murder. Yes. Uh, it's hard for this court to argue with the perfect murder, believe me. <laughs> what What is your age? I'm 26. Do you have meaningful connections in your life? Meaning? Do you have a romantic partner? No. Do you have close friends? Yes. All right. And you spend time with them and you're, not, you're a normal person. You're not just up there alone in your little room watching stolen movies and planning the murder well, of the yeah. United States president. I try to get out quite a lot. I mean, because I work from home, because I do all this, oh, I have to read all these scripts. Uh, I I don't leave that room as much as I'd like to. Okay, Andrea. Yes. Or do I say Andrea? No. No. All right, Andrea. Why can't he live the way he wants to live? Why does it bother you? I mean, you have to understand. You would have to make an extremely compelling case for me to find in your favor, because a, it's none of your business. And B, I think this guy's got to figure it out, frankly. <laughs> so well, what, what do you know that he doesn't know? Uh, I think it's a little bit my business because he's my friend and I care about him. And I have spent the last three years 
living a, a similarly nomadic lifestyle where I didn't have anything on the walls. I basically had enough possessions to fit into a couple of suitcases I could take on the tube. And now I have a little bit more stuff. I'm a little bit more settled. Uh, figuring out what to do with your life is hard enough. At least I know when I come home. It's nice. I own my own couch. I can entertain. He's afraid to have anyone over to his flat. He insists on only meeting them at the pub. Uh, so it would just improve his quality of life. And I don't think he should buy loads of stuff, but a few posters on the wall, uh, bringing your winter coat, some other things that you might actually need to stay warm. How's the winter might been? Be How has the winter been over there? What is Mild. the temperature? What is the temperature right now in the middle of, or the beginning of February in Fahrenheit, if you please? What's Fahrenheit? Uh, we can only give you Celsius. It's five degrees Celsius ish. Bailiff Jesse, could you get the answer for me, please? That's 41 degrees Fahrenheit. 41 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that's sweater weather. Say it's it. very damp cold. Well, I do think. So, go ahead, sir. Sorry, it's, uh, it's six degrees centigrade. I don't need another. another that, did you say that already? Yeah, yes. I think we. I think we got there. What's the difference between centigrade and Celsius? One takes petrol. What? <laughs> I don't remember. Forty-one degrees Fahrenheit. That's what this court is is uh, stating now, for the record. Not that cold, but you say it's damp. I do believe that people should dress properly for the weather. Does he have proper clothes in general? Oh, he has clothes. You know, you understand that he makes probably a single pound sterling a year doing what he's doing script reading and running for the for the for the british film industry what is your career if i may ask andrea and what is your age uh, i'm 28 and i'm an audio producer at an advertising company oh so you probably make 15 pounds sterling per year or more <laughs> not much more who makes more between you and joe andrea does by a factor of what would you say? I don't really know how much I earn because it's kind of by the job, and I haven't really, I haven't, I haven't done a tax return yet, so I'm not really sure for the year. No, and as long as you live in England, you never will. <laughs> uh, if you don't know how much money you earn, then you, then you probably are making a lot less. Andrew, do you know how much money you earn? Uh, I do. Yeah. Okay. That's all I need to know. That okay. shows. Well, it's, I'm not suggesting that you should feel ashamed of your wealth. I'll allow the rest of Europe to take that mm. position. All I'm saying <laughs> is that you, uh, if you know your income, uh, then you are in a, in a different kind of um, financial comfort zone than someone whose income is uh, as it goes. Do you see what I mean? Uh, Joe, do you have trouble making ends meet? Um, oh, I, th I just about get by, I'd say. Are you able to set any pounds sterling aside in Gringotts Bank or wherever you bank? <laughs> um, not really. Not really. Other than your government nest egg. Oh, well, that is pretty bold of you to say, Canada. But I don't have one. No, I know. You're just you don't deserve you're just one. You're just living illegally in another country. Probably, are you, on the, are you in the national health? Yes. All right. You shall be... Hearing our officers at your door at any moment. Our hypocrisy officers of this court. What sort of things would you like me to order him to put into his apartment? Posters? You mentioned posters. Throw rugs? I think <laughs> as Joe is moving in a couple of months, it would just be nice to see him settle in a little bit. Where are you moving to, Joe? 
Um, I haven't decided yet. Somewhere in London. <laughs> maybe, maybe a small shed. Do you know, if you go to um, St. James Park behind St. James's Church off of uh, Ger- uh, German Street, they have a little, uh, a little caravan in the park. Maybe you could live in that. <laughs> I know that one. Yeah, you you laugh, right? but um, there, are, there are sheds that are being rented out uh, in London, I, have, I know of. No, I do not laugh. Actual sheds with toilets in the bar. Uh, well, and I can, tell you're te- I can tell you're tempted by them. How much sh- where where are the where are the sheds located and how much do they go for? All over the place, and they're probably very cheap. I, I never really investigated into no, no, the price. I, well, I mean, I, I mean to say, are, are you renting someone's garden shed in the back of their home? No. Well, then, what kind of shed are we talking about? Is shed Cockney rhyming slang for a three-bedroom apartment? No, a shed is a small wooden structure in a garden. At last, we have something in common. <laughs> So it's got to be someone's. Someone is renting out their shed in their garden, in their from their home, right? Yes, but it's illegal. It's illegal. Well, why would that stop yeah. you? Scofflaw McTorrenty. <laughs> I think you should. Look um, into, I think you should look into a shed rental. Have you ever thought about living in a canal boat? I actually have. There are several kind of around, but I think they'd be very cold. They are very cold. But you don't. But you've already established that you don't care about cold because you didn't bring a winter coat, and you only recently put your youth blanket in the wardrobe, <laughs> which I think is yeah, which I think is English public school slang for something dirty. I'm a hardy young man. Yeah. And you're from <laughs> the coast. I can take the cold. You're from the coast. I'm from the coast. It's warmer on the coast where he's from. Okay. All right. Uh, you want him to become a hoarder? You want me to order him to get some garbage and pumpkins and cats? About a thousand think... rolls of scotch tape and, uh, and, uh, and countless blacklight posters from, a, from the back of a Spencer's gift somewhere? I think his attitude to not wanting more than a carload of things kind of points to a larger reticence to settle. And I know he's as tired as I am, or I was moving around, and the ability to need to flee at a moment's notice is almost just like a lack of commitment to his own life. And I think it's just pointing to a larger issue. Which is? Just a, a lack of commitment and a need to be shiftless and be able to flee. Well, we know that we know, uh, Joe, that you have no idea what your career holds in store for you, and you're not even sure if you want to continue doing it. Is that correct? You would like to continue it to work in like, cinema? Yes. Um, I'm just kind of waiting for the sort of ideal job that to come up that will be like a nine to six job that I can not be in my room all day with, and maybe actually get to see some people instead of characters that come out of other people's minds. Are there such jobs in in film production? Absolutely, yeah. All right. And you have it? development jobs, don't you? You know that. Okay. Oh, you want to be a British a British film exec? Yes. A hotshot British film exec, living out yep. of a shed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably that's the dream. Yeah, you probably get a lot done. Uh, do you lack commitment to your own life? I think that is uh, an offensive thing for Andrew to bring up. May I interject? No, I want to hear this. How are you offended exactly? How does it make you feel when Andrea says that you do not commit to your own life or anything else? I think I, I think I do commit to my own life. I, you know, just because I don't own loads of possessions, that's not a lack of commitment. I mean, 
I think she's trying to also say that I'm kind of wanting to escape from everything, which isn't the case. It's something you say all the time. I'm always looking for an exit strategy. I know. I, I have an exit strategy planned just in case the building catches fire or something. Oh, so you're paranoid that the building is going to catch fire? No, but I is think it's bu- sensible to know the way out. No, I agree. That is sensible. But do you, do you, are there anything else? I mean, what other exit strategies do you need from your semi-employment and your drafty Edwardian apartment? No. Apart from that, do you, is there anything else where you, you feel like you need to, you may need to jump at a moment's notice? No. Are you motivated out of fear in your life? <laughs> no. And you laugh because why? Because I'm fearless. <laughs> Andrea, is that true? Oh, I know him as a very anxious young man. Oh, do you think he's playing it up for the podcast? Yeah, I think it's all buster. Absolutely, he's trying to charm you. I never never thought that I was going to hear touchy-feely emotional counseling of a British person from a Canadian person, but there you go. I have everything I need to make my decision. Could I add one more point? Uh, Will it be exactly the same as all the other points that you've just made? He's wheedled out of signing two leases in the last two places that he's lived. Whoa, okay. He, oh. He's avoided this having is, to commit to a lease. I was, I was not allowed to sign the lease on my current flat because they wouldn't accept my reference, even though it came from one of the most successful film companies in Europe. And so, he was elated. No, I wasn't. I found it stressful. So, you know, I think this is ridiculous. He's playing it up again. You said it's great. It means I can move whenever I want. Yeah, but they've still got my deposit money, so I can't leave. They'll take my five hundred pounds. All right. And so you, so you would like me to order Andrea to give you five hundred pounds? Yep. Was that, was that the point and, of that uh, exchange? No. Uh, um, I'd like, I'd like her to sort of leave me alone, and also could maybe you could have a sub uh, judgment that she's not allowed to shout as much as she usually does. Well, I can't stop a, an Ontarian from shouting. That's what they're known for. You know what Ontario is known for? Shouters, meddlers, materialists. That's what, that's, that's what Ontario is. That's the, that's, it's the shouting province of Canada. Oh. Andrea, do you shout too much? Uh, I think I project because <laughs> I want to be heard. And Joe, as you can tell, is quite a soft-spoken person, and he's very British in that particular way, and sometimes it alarms him. Well, you mentioned that you're, you're an audio engineer of some kind. Maybe you're wearing headphones all the time and don't realize it. Yeah, maybe I've just lost my hearing from too many headphones. All right, I have everything I need to make my ruling. I'll be back in a moment. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Joe, where are you going? I have to say that your explanation of always having an exit strategy is both perfectly reasonable and what a madman would say. (laughs) Don't you think, like, Jesse, aren't you looking around and wanting to know how to escape from the studio you're in right now? Absolutely not. (laughs) In case it's on fire. I'm happy to be here talking to you, Joe. Oh, that's lovely of you to say. Andrea, is the problem here really that you're not getting the kind of friendship out of Joe that you want? In what way? Are you worried that he's trying to run away from your friend relationship? Maybe he, a bit, he can be a bit aloof. Do you think you've got a shot, Andrea? No. <laughs> not by the sound of it. Joe, how are you feeling? Um, quite pleased. 
I think I'm going to win. <laughs> He's you really sound, smug. You sound over the freaking moon. It kind of went my way, didn't it? It sounded like... Andrea, hold him down. He is flipping out. This is super expressive for him, though. Yeah, I've had two cups of tea. I'm kind of going crazy. Well, we'll see what Judge John Hodgman has to say. Please rise as Judge Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. Well, I have to say that I could talk to you guys uh, for a fortnight. <laughs> because I'm an Anglophile. And I know that I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but it is how I'm going to pronounce it from now on. I'm just incredibly Anglophilic. And I, uh, I enjoy, I spent some time, uh, like you, Andrea, when, when I was a youth, though younger than you, uh, on a, uh, uh, take a semester off from college here in America to go on uh, a, 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 an English drink abroad program uh, that they had organized over there for American students. And so I, I went and lived there for six months. And, and like you, I was of... Um, questionable immigration status. And I worked uh, at different jobs. I, uh, I, I, I was an usher at the Hammersmith Odeon, which I believe is now called the Apollo Hammersmith. Uh, I, yeah. I did some telemarketing for a, a major uh, courier company there called uh, Addison Lee. Miserable job. Nice people. <laughs> huh? Nice people. And then I... Selling um, drivers. Yeah, we don't have to relive it. It was a terrible time in my life. I was I was fired. For, I was fired for wearing bad trousers. We'll just leave it at that. And they were, oh. they were terrible trousers. And uh, and uh, I also um, had one of the greatest jobs in my life was I monged some cheese uh, <laughs> uh, at a at a at a high at a high a high end cheese mong monging organization, which. Uh, I th- I don't I, in Butte Street in South Kensington. I know it's not there anymore. But during most of this time, I lived very much as you did. I lived on a street called Watermint Key, which was a 1980s yuppie redevelopment uh, at the very end, at the very edge of uh, the the River Lee, which was a a, a, a canal boat canal, and itself was the termination of, a, of the original street, which in, uh, in great British fashion, Watermint Key was the new end of the old street, which was called Craven Walk. And my favorite juxtaposition of all times. And there I lived. What I had was a mattress on the floor. I had a, a chest of drawers, which I think is the same in your language. And... Um, and uh, some plastic coat hangers and a large glass jar in which I kept my cash money. So I always knew all of the money that I had at that time. And it was a marvelous, monastic, simple life where I could look at my glass jar and budget out exactly how much of that could be turned into whiskey that would go into me such that I would lie down in that bed and not be chased by demons until morning and then go to destroy my soul, calling people up and trying to get them to get accounts at this major courier company, which I've already named, which for now shall remain unnamed until I was fired for having bad trousers. That was a time in my life that I liked a lot. So I feel a lot of sympathy uh, for your way of life, Joe. It is simple. It is uncluttered. In many ways, I've tried to get back to the simplicity of that life. But there's a difference, sir, which is that I was 19 years old at that time. 
I was specifically, I remember very distinctly because I knew that I was too young to drink in America, but I was old enough to drink in England, and that's why I went there, because I was a drunk but a coward. (laughs) So, in any case, I do understand and appreciate Andrea's concern, because you are 26, do I remember correctly? Yes. And you are still living life as though you are 19, from my point of view. And you are approaching that age that usually, I I think it's not terribly sexist to say, that usually women approach sooner, where there is an expectation from society that you are going to create a meaningful uh, uh, love partnership in your life. You are going to get an apartment in which you are going to stay for a period of time, or a home, as they call it. And that you might buy a candle or something and set up shop as a human being in an adult life. Now, I think that Andrea is reasonable in her concern because you are, once you, you know, these, the, the years fly by, right? Because we, we, we all use the same, you guys might be on, on, the, on the centigrade, but we all use the same time system so far. And you'll find that the years between 26 and 30 uh, will go by very quickly. And if you were in this same arrangement, the same, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. I am ready to put all of my possessions in my, in my Citroen, throw the Citroen mm-hmm. over my shoulder because it only weighs 30 pounds, and hit the road uh, or, or the high street, as you say, as soon as possible. Um, I would, I would, I would also share her concern. I would say, you know what, you need to figure out what it is you're going to do. There's some passion. There's something that's keeping you from finding whatever passion it is uh, that is going to root you uh, for the next part and chapter of your life. And if that passion were, I want to be a monk in the middle of London, that's fine. I'm all for it. Do you know what I mean? But you seem to be in this in this sort of possessionless limbo. That in a few years, I think, is going to be cause for concern among your, your friends and, and your family and maybe even yourself. But right now, Andrea, I don't think that that's where he is. His pyrophobia aside, I don't think that there is any particular concern. And, Andrea, one thing that you might have a hard time understanding since you are from Ontario, the most meddling of Canadian provinces. <laughs> You can't tell people how to live their lives unless you are their parent uh, or their spouse or life partner, basically. And even in those cases, you are justified in telling that person, um, but that will probably only get that person to go in the exact opposite direction. But right now, you can say as much as you want about your concern. Joe is going to do what he wants to do, unless you two were to finally get married and we could all put this thing to, to single bed, if you will. My visa problems would be solved. I think it is the solution. And I think the solution is also, <laughs> Joe, I, I, th- that said, you have to move out of that room. I know you're planning to move in a month or two. Um, I am not going to let you off the hook completely. If you are going to pursue this life against the arguments uh, and concerns of your good friend, Andrea, um, I'm going to force you to pursue it even further. I want you... <laughs> I want you to investigate living in a canal boat. Why? (laughs) Because I think it is the ultimate expression of your Spartan, weird, outside-of-society lifestyle. 
And also, that's something I always wanted to do, and so I'm going to force <laughs> you to do it instead. So the, I do find in the favor of, uh, of the defendant, Joe, with the stipulation that uh, his, his next home search must include uh, a canal boat rental, and I need to see evidence that he is pursuing that. That is to say, I need at least one photo of Joe in a canal boat that is verifiably for rent. And I want a good argument for why you didn't rent it. But I bet you, once you're in there, you're going to love it. Please, Joe, live in that canal boat for me. <laughs> Meanwhile, Canada, keep your hands off my British friend. This is the sound of a gavel. <laughs> Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Joe, you came out on top, but with a mandate to pursue living in a canal boat. You got to admit, that's not that bad. It's, it's going to be quite cool. Um, also very cold next winter. I know Andrea, some places, though. <laughs> Andrea, how are you feeling? Uh, well, I had a feeling Joe's British charm would persevere, and I would seem like a meddling Canadian, and uh, yeah, I was right. It's going to be pretty fun when you get to go visit Joe at a boat, right? Oh, she's not coming around. We'll go to the pub. Oh, Joe, you're incorrigible. Well, guys, thanks for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Thank you thanks. for having us. Cheerio. Thank you. See you guys Bye. later. Bye. Bye. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Stitch Fix. You know that boost of confidence you get when you put on an outfit that just feels good? You know what that's like. That's what I get when I use Stitch Fix. With Stitch Fix, you get a human stylist, not AI. A human being who understands your style, size, and budget. They do all the shopping for you, and it's the easiest way to update your wardrobe this season or any other. This professional stylist picks the clothes. They can either send you a box where anything you don't want is unbelievably easy to return, or they can make a little storefront for you just from stuff that they recommend for your taste and your body. Uh, it is an absolutely incredible service. They give you styling advice, outfit recommendations, the whole thing soup to nuts. And like I said, if you don't want it, if you don't like it, it is unfathomably easy to send it back. They give you an envelope that's big enough that has the postage and the labels on it. All you have to do is shove the thing in there, close it up, and drop it off at your local mailing center. It is that easy. Can I also say the stuff that my stylist at Stitch Fix picks for me? I really like it. Like, they know me. And it's really terrific. Plus, if you've got small people in your life, sadly, my small people are now adults shopping for themselves. But if you've got little kids, it's a terrific way to, to get togs for your kids. Style that makes you feel as you, as you want to look. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash jjho that's stitchfix.com slash jjho stitchfix.com slash jjho the judge john hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by aura frames 
hey, Mother's Day is coming up. Do you have a mom in your life that you'd like to celebrate? There are very few better ways than giving an aura frame to someone you care about. These are beautifully Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos of your memories with your mom, stepmom, a mentor, friend, uh, whatever it is in your life who might enjoy seeing photos from your life. Aura frames are the way to go. Judge, there's a very special mom in my life, Ms. Teresa Thorne. Yes. Uh, that's my wife and also a, a whole human being in her own right. Guess what's guess what's on her bedside table? Yes, that's right. You guessed it in one, an aura frame. Oh. <laughs> what I love about the aura frame is you don't have to load a bunch of stuff onto an SD card or whatever, like with the old digital frames. It is so easy to get the pictures on there. So like when Teresa texts me a cute picture of one of our children or our dog, uh, or one of our siblings texts us a cute picture of one of them or one of their children. Uh, all I have to do is hit that share button on my phone and I can share it right to the frame and then it lives there for as long as I want. I can also take it off whenever I want, but I don't even have to open the Aura Frames app, which is a great app, but I don't right. even have to go there. It just goes straight into wherever I want it, uh, whichever frame I want, or I have multiple Aura Frames in my house or all of them. Uh, it is incredibly easy. That's why Wirecutter chose it as the best digital photo frame. That's why it's one of Oprah's favorite things. Uh, it is guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use the code Hodgman at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Biz, and this is the final season of One Bad Mother, a comedy podcast about parenting. This is going to be a year of celebrating all that makes this podcast and this community magical. I'm so glad that I found your podcast. I just cannot thank you enough for just being the voice of reason as I'm trying to figure all of this out. Thank you and cheers to your incredible show and the vision you had to provide this space for all of us. This is still a show about life after giving life. And yes, there will be swears. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. And as always, you are doing a great job. All right, class, tomorrow's exam will cover the science of perfect pitch, the history of pride flags and speed running video games. Any questions? Ah, yes, you in the back. Uh, what is this? It's the podcast, Let's Learn Everything. Where we learn about science and a bit of everything else. My name's Tom, I study cognitive and computer science, but I'll also be your teacher for intermediate emojis. My name's Caroline and I did my master's in biodiversity conservation and I'll be teaching you intro to things the British Museum stole. My name's Ella, I did a PhD in stem cell biology, so obviously I'll be teaching you the history of fan fiction. Class meets every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. So do I still get credit for this? <laughs> no. <laughs> obviously not. No. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was a lovely case, eh, Judge John Hodgman? Oh, what? What's that, Jesse? I was just trying to figure out how to turn my chambers into a canal boat. Well, I don't think pouring glasses of water on the floor is the answer. Isn't that how boats work? You fill them up with water and then it's a boat? <laughs> I think you could use a nautical training course, Judge Hodgman. You know what I like about British people? And even fake British people? <laughs> What's that? 
Jonathan Colton pointed this out to me a long time ago. It's that when they get off the phone, they always sound so sad. <laughs> they say bye, but they always say it like very wistful. Bye. <laughs> you can be having a conversation with like the hardest nosed, the most stiffest upper lipped of solicitors. And after yelling at you for an hour, they say, all right, bye. Hey, Judge Hodgman, you know, it's funny that this case ended up involving boats because I've actually recently created a new website that has a picture of a boat on it. I love I love picture boat websites. Yeah. What is it called? Boatparty.biz. You can find it online at boatparty.biz. Before I even hit the return key, may I just say that is the greatest URL I've ever typed? Oh, of course it is, and it's probably the greatest website you'll ever visit. It has a picture of a boat and a place to type in your email address. Well, let me go take a look. Huh. Boat party. There is a picture of a boat. It looks like a great boat. Mm-hmm. And I enter my email address. Yeah. It says, find out first. What could this mean? The only time will tell. I'm entering my email address, hodgman at maximumfun.org, where you can send all of your disputes and comments and docket cases. And... Oh... Confirm my email address. Okay, I'll click on the link. Ah, there it is. Came right through. Yes, subscribe me to this list. And subscription confirmed. But to what, Jesse? Is that the mystery? I guess so. But I can tell you this much. You really got the most out of BoatParty.biz, a website with a picture of a boat and a place to type in your email address. Online at BoatParty.biz. Biz. Shall we clear the docket? Yes, I will make no further comment on that mysterious message. What is on the docket? Here's something from Eric. My wife believes that I should not refer to the existence of koala bears nor seagulls because they're not real things. As she says, koala bears happen to be marsupials, and seagulls are actually several different species of gulls. On the other hand, she believes in the existence of strawberries, boysenberries, raspberries, etc., I'd like you to rule that she is wrong and I am right. That names do not have to be accurate to be applicable. Oh, I suppose that she would not want me to refer to sea lions because they actually, that term actually refers to any number of species of nautical lions. I'm sorry. I understand that a koala bear is a marsupial and not a bear. I understand that a seagull refers to a lot of different kinds of animals that are gulls. And indeed, many of them do not fly that far out into sea. They really should be called shore gulls. But these names are passed down like any other kinds of language, and they are often imperfect. Why, if it were not for this kind of animal naming vernacular, we would not have uh, not only the sea lion, uh, but also the polecat which refers to many species of the weasel family, including the striped polecat, the steppe polecat, the black-footed ferret, a.k.a. the American polecat, the European polecat, the marbled polecat, which I like the best because it has the best flavor, and, of course, the skunk, which isn't even a weasel. Skunk. Can you repeat all that? I was distracted by eating these nuts that I urinated upon. Oh, you're talking about urine nuts? <laughs> Indeed. It's funny because they're actually legumes. Exactly. 
I would not wish to remove from the English language this confusing complexity, or indeed you see the pleasure that I took from the confusing complexity of the English language while talking to uh, Joey English not that long ago. So I would ask your wife to stop being a language pedant or urinant and let you say whatever you want about cute koala bears and disgusting seagulls. Next case, please. Here's something from Adam. My wife and I recently moved to New York City from San Francisco. While living in San Francisco, I would ride my bike to commute and to exercise. In New York, I live close enough to my school that I can walk on a daily basis, but I'd like to resume riding my bike. My wife thinks that bicycling in New York is too dangerous and cites as proof that many people we know have been injured while bike riding in New York City. I counter that, A, I have hundreds of hours of city riding experience, B, thousands of New Yorkers bike in Manhattan every day without incident, and C, I take all legal precautions when I ride. My wife says that there are plenty of public transit options for getting around, and that if I want to ride for exercise, I should take my bike on the train outside of the city. I hereby request an injunction that so long as I agree to abide by all legal biking requirements, i.e. to wear a helmet, have both front and back lights, and obey all other traffic laws, that my wife cannot object to my bicycle riding. Without having statistics at hand, because I try not to in any situation, I do sympathize with your wife's position, for uh, riding a bicycle in New York City is dangerous. Is it more dangerous than riding in San Francisco? Uh, it's difficult for me to say, uh, but I will say that unlike San Francisco, uh, traditionally riding bikes in New York City has been reserved to scuzzy bike messengers who live to die uh, and therefore have bred an antagonistic relationship uh, with uh, automobilers and motorists in the city that I think has lingering after effects. I myself, as a longtime bike rider in uh, many of the great cities of the world, Boston and New Haven, uh, did not feel entirely comfortable riding around New York City. But that was before there were these bike lanes that uh, I think do make biking a little bit safer, but also make car drivers a lot angrier at you. Uh, I don't think that I would prohibit you from riding your bike in the city. I do think you've got plenty of experience, and I think you will take precautions, and you will naturally be extra careful as you're navigating a city that you don't know very well. But I would admonish you this. If you can walk to work, do so, because I used to be able to walk to my office, and it's a fantastic way to get to know the city that you are living in by going slowly and investigating weird storefronts and getting a 5,000-calorie bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich every day before work. And I would also invite you to enjoy many of the city's great uh, bicycle paths in parks, such as Central Park or Riverside Park. One thing I would not do is take your wife's advice, and this basically negates her entire argument as far as I'm concerned, that you take your bike on a train out of the city. Anyone who takes their bike on a train is pretty much dead to me (laughs) before you even get on the bike. So I find in your favor, sir, and I look forward to your angry emails, people who take their bikes on the subway, that I, I wonder how you're going to justify yourselves. That's all we've got on the docket this week. Um... Listen, I, I kind of have to go. I've got an appointment with the website BoatParty.biz. I look forward to receiving a mysterious email, and not just from BoatParty.biz, but from any of you out there who wish to write me 
uh, with your disputes that you would like to have heard on the podcast or in my New York Times magazine. You can't really call it a column because it's very small. Maybe a columnette or columnella. Uh, Judge John Hodgman rules. Uh, or to have a case cleared by the docket. Or to uh, tell me how wrong I am uh, about uh, taking a bicycle onto a subway and poking uh, me in the eye uh, with your handlebars. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Please write me at hodgman at maximumfund.org or you can fill out the form at maximumfund.org slash jjo. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is a production of MaximumFun.org. Our special thanks to all of the folks who donate to support the show and all of our shows at MaximumFun.org slash donate. The show is produced by Julia Smith and me, Jesse Thorne, and edited by Mark McConville. You can check out his podcast, Super Ego, in iTunes or online at GoSuperEgo.com. You can find John Hodgman online at AreasOfMyExpertise.com. If you have a case for Judge John Hodgman, go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. If you have thoughts about the show, join the conversation on our forum at forum.maximumfun.org and our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Judge John Hodgman. We'll see you online and next time right here on the Judge John Hodgman podcast.